Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book, episode 34. We are in Working With Others, part two on 92 in the first real paragraph. We are in the middle of talking about the first 100 men and women are telling us how to 12-step somebody. And um, they're about to tell me not to tell someone that they're an alcoholic. Um, but if we are satisfied to our own innermost self based on probably the answer to the questions that we read on 44 and all the identifying markers that we read in, men, in um, you know, about mental obsession and physical allergy. So once we've gotten to that point, if I have someone that doesn't relate to anything, then I'm not going to keep going on. It's almost never happened. So the first paragraph says, if I underline that word, if, and I bracketed the whole paragraph and I wrote on the side, talk about being dry and believing the lie. Talk about being dry and believing the lie. So that lie that I, I've got this, I'm fine, I, this isn't a problem, I was just being dramatic. It says, if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, remember that means physical allergy, mental obsession, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how, I underlined, the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Will is my thinking. They're telling me that my mental obsession when I'm not drinking prevents me from thinking clearly because I can't see the truth because all I think about is the next drink. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it, I underlined, and wishes to discuss it. Again, I wrote the words willpower on the side and I'm going to define it. We've done this a number of times, but it's always important that everyone understands what we're talking about. So I wrote willpower and I wrote power of sane mind sane means we we have the ability to see the truth about the situation so we can see how many things are there the whole picture what we're dealing with power of sane mind and then i wrote where alcohol is concerned where alcohol is concerned we are strangely insane which means we can't see the truth we are strangely insane so when it comes to alcohol i can't see what it does to me i only see what it does for me so willpower is power of sane mind and then I wrote where alcohol is concerned we are strangely insane I underlined in the paragraph and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic so I don't tell someone they're an alcoholic the only time I ever remind them that they're an alcoholic is if we've worked together before we've gone through the first three steps they've come back or they're not doing the work they've identified themselves as an alcoholic to me and I remember just reminding them of what they told me I underlined let him draw his own conclusions so they're talking about a new person that's never been taken through if he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, I underlined, tell him that possibly he can. And then I underlined twice the word if. And I kept underlining, if he is not too alcoholic. So we say we kind of play into their their crazy mind. We say, you know what, maybe you can. Maybe you don't have a problem. Maybe you are able to control this. Our job is not to talk somebody out of drinking. That's not possible. And then it says, but insist that, I underline the rest of this, the paragraph, if he is severely afflicted, so if he's got a physical allergy and a mental obsession, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. So we want to plant the truth, but we want to say to them, you know what, maybe you're an exception to this rule. So we are still on step one at this point. We have not given them the solution. We've just talked about the problem. You don't want to move on to the solution until someone is convinced that this is their problem. I bracketed the next paragraph. And I wrote on the bottom of the paragraph, identify the problem. Identify the problem. 
And it says, continue to speak of alcoholism. I underline in red, an illness, a fatal malady. And next to fatal, I wrote life and death. So we've got a, a terminal illness. And this illness is alcoholism. And it's the two places we see it are in our body when we have alcohol and in our mind when we don't. And the problem, our main problem, the book tells me, is in my mind. So the tumor of alcohol is in my mind. It cannot be removed surgically. So what we have to remove it is the 12 steps, particularly 4 through 9, and then we keep it clean in 10, 11, and 12. They're telling me here, talk about the conditions of, I underline, body and mind. So they're reminding me again, this is what's wrong with us. Which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on, I underline, your personal experience. So you're not talking about them. You're talking about yourself. I underline the next sentence. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. On the side next to doomed, I wrote to an alcoholic death. That's what we're doomed to. Not to AA meetings. We're doomed to an alcoholic death. The reason why we're doomed is because they don't have a solution. So I am not doomed to an alcoholic death as long as I contingent upon my work spiritually on 10, 11, and 12. I never have to do 1 through 9 again because I live it in 10, 11, and 12. They're all wrapped up in 10, 11, and 12. So I don't have to be afraid of an alcoholic death unless I stop doing the work and then I need to get real afraid. It says, doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. I underline and starred the next sentence. But you, and they're talking to me, so I underline the word you again. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. They're reminding me with my book in, the hand, in my hand that I have a solution to this fatal illness. And the solution I have is what I did, which is what was passed on to me by you. It says, you will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. I underline, even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. I underline, let him ask you that question. And on the top of the page, I wrote, if he asks, you'll probably be their sponsor. So if they, if we first described to them what was wrong with us and how we were so messed up and broken and lost, and then they say to us, well, how come you're not like that anymore? As soon as they phrase some sort of question about why we no longer feel the way that we used to, that's them asking us how we got better. And that is the beginning of that pathway to asking for help. It says, I underline, tell them exactly what happened to you. And that's step two. What happened that made me be willing to give up and ask for help? I wrote on the top of 93, only one way out, only one way out that we know of. There are other ways to get sober. Alcoholics Anonymous only offers one. Our only solution is the steps. We do not offer the solution of don't drink, go to meetings as a treatment for alcoholism. That is, a, that is all you need to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's not going to treat the mental obsession. It says only one way out. And then I wrote, show me how to get out of the cave. So my job as a recovered alcoholic is to show others how to get out of the dark, cold cave. I can show you how to get out. You have to climb out, but I can show you how I did it. And that's my responsibility. And if I'm not doing it currently, but I've been shown how to get out, then I need to ask myself, why? Why am I not passing on which was so freely given to me? Who do I think I am that is, it has the right to not pass this gift on? 
It says, stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic. He does not have to agree with your conception of God. I bracketed this paragraph. I underlined the rest of the paragraph, and I put a star next to this, and this was my solution. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Next to spiritual principles, I wrote 12 steps. That's what they're talking about. In that first sentence that we underline where it says he can choose any, I circle the word any. And it's very specific there. I can choose any concept that I like. And the only requirement is that it has to make sense to me. And this saved my life. They've said this so many times throughout the book. I went through the book when I was 11 years sober after my son survived this scary medical thing. And we were kind of barely making it through the days and feeling really overwhelmed and anxious and then he got sick with something else and I had a really big struggle with my God and my what my concept of God was because my concept of God was that um, everything happens for a reason and everything's going to be exactly the way God needs it to be and I no longer could believe in a God that wanted my son or other children to not survive and to suffer <clears throat> and so I had to search out a new concept and it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen in a week. It didn't happen in a month. It it took a year and a half of my searching along the way. I was getting pieces and pieces like a collage. But what happened along the way is I went through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous again by myself. I read every single word from the beginning um, and I was searching to make sure that I could still stay in AA with the belief that I was beginning to have. I had an idea of what I wanted it to be, what was okay with me, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't going against Alcoholics Anonymous because I love AA and I was scared that I wasn't going to belong here anymore. And what I found was what it says on 93. I can choose any conception I like provided it makes sense to me. And to me it does. I'm sure in three years that the concept I have today is not going to be perfect for what I need in three years. The the phones change all the time and so will my concept of God's needs. So um, my job here is to identify the solution, which is that we need something bigger than us. And we don't have to tell them what it is. I bracketed the next paragraph and I wrote on the side warning and then I wrote keep religion out of AA keep religion out of AA so it's it's very important that I don't talk about religion and that I only talk about my own personal conception but I don't tell people what they should believe it says when dealing with such a person you had better use I underline everyday language to describe spiritual principles here's a little reminder I I think I've shared this before but I think it's worth sharing again whenever I'm sitting down with someone for the first time I ask them when I remember to do this, I use the word God to talk about my concept of a higher power. It's not religious, it's just, and I explain to them in very general terms what my God is. I said, but if this word, the word God, makes you not be able to hear what I'm saying because it brings up something that's yucky for you, let me know right now so I can find a different word that will work for you. And I would say maybe five times in the last 18 years of taking people through the steps, I've had to change the word. Um, It's usually the higher power or the universe. One person wanted me to say creative intelligence every single time. And yeah, it was annoying, but it wasn't that big of a deal because if what I was going to say was going to make it so they couldn't hear me, then I didn't want to say it. I wanted to find something that was going to make it so they could hear me. It says, there is no use arousing, arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. It says, your prospect may be 
may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he'll be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. And I bracketed this little side, the next like five lines, starting at he. It says, he may be an example of the truth. I underline that faith alone is insufficient. I kept underlining the next sentence. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. I want to go through this together. So I double underlined faith alone. And I put a star next to that. And they're telling me it's not enough. It's like I go to the store. I want to buy the bread. I only have a dollar and it's three dollars. They say what you have is not enough. And they're telling me, just believing in God is not enough here. That's a pretty big statement that we're making. And it says, to be vital, which means life or death. So to save my life, I have to believe and know that there's a God. And it must be accompanied with me being self-sacrificing, unselfish, and doing constructive action. Which basically, in layman's terms, means do everything I don't want to do to help somebody else when I don't even like them. So I... In order for me to survive and be sober, I need to believe and live and know that there's a God, but I also need to do things I don't want to do to help other people that I don't even like. I wrote on the side the word need, and then I wrote number one, two, and three. I wrote need, number one is faith, number two is self-sacrifice, and number three is unselfish action. So just summarizing, I need number one, faith, number two, self-sacrifice, and number three, unselfish action. Let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Perhaps your story will help him see where he has failed to practice the very precepts he knows so well. We represent no particular faith or denomination on the top of 94. We are dealing only with general principles common to most denominations. Um, I bracketed the rest of the page from outline. And then in big letters in that space above it, I wrote program of action. Program of action. And I wrote read when sponsoring. Read when sponsoring. So... This is a great page to come back to whenever I get stuck as a sponsor, which I do. I'm human, and I take things personally, and I forget my purpose and my obligation. This sets me right back on this. It's like going back to the coach, complaining about you know the rules, and the coach being like, dude, you're not even focusing on the right thing. It says, outline the program of action. I underline program of action. Above that, I wrote 3 through 12. I do this in my first meeting with the person. I want them to know what they're about to get into. I want them to know what it's gonna be like to go on this journey together, what this road trip's gonna entail. I want them to know that we're gonna be in dirty gas station bathrooms and that we're gonna have to go to hotels that are not nice and we're gonna have to you know, clean up things that we don't wanna clean up and that it's gonna be boring and tiring and you know, a lot of work. I need them to know exactly what the work's going to be. I'm hiring someone for a job, basically, that is going to be challenging, tiring, and more work than they've ever done. And I need them to know what they're about to get into so they can back out. Because I only want to work with the willing. So I outline the program of action, which is 3 through 12. I tell them, if you make this decision to do the rest of the work, this is what the rest of the work is going to look like. And it takes me like five minutes to get through that idea in a summary. Explaining how you made, I underline a self-appraisal, which is 4 through 6. So I underline self-appraisal, I wrote 4 through 6. How you, I underline straighten out your past, and I wrote 8 and 9 above that. I underline straighten out your past, I wrote 8 and 9. 
I underlined why you are now endeavoring to be helpful, and I wrote 12. So right there, I kind of broke things down. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays, I underlined, a vital part in your own recovery. Double underline that word vital, that's life and death. So me working with you is life and death for me. Which means whether you stay sober or not, I will stay sober if I do the work with you. It says actually he may be helping you, I underline, more than you are helping him. I underline, make it plain he is under no obligation to you. I underline that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. That when he escapes his own difficulties, I put a little star next to the word when, and I wrote step 12. That's promising me I'm going to escape my own difficulties, and that when I do, I need to help other people. That's the only requirement we have. That's the only ask we have of you. It doesn't cost money to do this. You're just going to have to change everything in your life and do all this hard work, but the only thing we ask of you in return is that you go do it with somebody else. I wrote on the side, no time frame for working with others. The book tells me the only time frame of when I should work with somebody is when I've escaped my own difficulties. So if I'm brand new, I walk in the door, I meet somebody with a big book and they help me through it and we're I'm at like three months sober or 60 days sober or four months sober and I'm actively doing 10, 11 and you know, pretty crappy, but I'm doing the best I can. I have the obligation and I'm capable of helping a new person who walks in the door who doesn't have the solution. I underline, suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. I underline, make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. And then I underline, you should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. I wrote on the side, model for sponsorship. Model for sponsorship. I remember when I was pretty new sober and I made the mistake of sharing with my sponsor when one of my sponsees, you know, fired me. I I put like air quotes when I say fired because no one's paying me anything and I didn't get hired. But um, when they said they didn't want to work with me anymore and I thought, and I was really resentful and I went to my sponsor. This is before I knew how to do a 10 step. And I said, after all I did for her, I can't believe this. And they stopped me right there. And they're like, what are you talking about? All you did for her, listen to yourself. You're so selfish. She was helping you. She kept you sober. Um, and you know, my first initial ones, they hurt because I didn't understand it. I took it personally. I thought it was about me, but now I've been sober, you know, and doing this long enough that I can see it has nothing to do with me. A person is either willing to do the work or they're not. They're either going to do the work or they're not. It has nothing to do with me. Yes, it can be helpful to have a guy that knows how to do the book and that can help you through it and that does it themselves. But you can have a sponsor that doesn't talk about anything. And if the person wants to do the work, they will find their own way through the work. It says... I underlined, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. I circled the word sane, quiet, and full of human understanding. That's how I want to be. That's how I want to be, which means I'm not screaming at anybody. I'm not freaking out. I'm not getting mad at them. I'm not threatening them. I'm not talking about them. I'm sane, which means I can see the whole picture, which means I'm also respecting their path. I'm quiet, which means I'm not yelling. And I understand because I know what it feels like to not want to do this work. And then I underline and put like 75 stars next to this sentence. This is one of my favorite. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. And I love that. I would like to have a business card that says Carly Israel, disturber of alcoholism. <laughs> um, maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. So I want to get them to understand that here's the facts. Here's the truth. No judgment. This is our truth. 
And I hope it pisses them off and makes them uncomfortable just enough that they can't fully enjoy it all. It says, I underline, this is all to the good. I underline the rest of the paragraph. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. I wrote on the side, hopeless equals willing. Hopeless is awesome. Hopeless equals willing. When you're hopeless and miserable and desperate, we are finally willing to do the work. The reason why they call it the gift of desperation, which stands for God, is because the more desperate you are, the more willing you will be to do whatever it is to do the work, right? It's only when I'm in so much pain and my stomach hurts and I can't eat and I can't function and I can't sleep and I can't go to school and I hate the way I feel that I'm willing to take the nasty medicine to help me feel better that I was not willing to take before. So we've just explained steps three through nine, but the person, let's just say they're not doing the work. It says your candidate may give reasons, I underlined why he need not follow all the program. And I circle the word all because the program is, is like this. You're either working the program, which is one through 12, or you're not. It's just that simple. I underlined, he may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning. I wrote on the side steps four through five. So four through five are, are the drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. So don't say, you're ridiculous. I can't believe you're upset about this. Tell him you once felt as he does. And I wrote on the side, relate. We need to remind them that we also felt like that. And we need to remember that we also felt like that. Nobody comes into the rooms and says, yes, I would love to write an inventory about all the things I did to other people. And then I'd like to make amends to them. I underlined, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. I wrote on the side, I don't have to argue with them. I don't have to argue with them. And then in quotation marks, I wrote, we have ceased fighting anyone. We have ceased fighting anyone. And that's the 10th set promise. So if I hear myself arguing with a girl, which happens very, very rarely now, but when it does, I also do this with my kids. I will say out loud, I don't want to argue with you. I do it with my husband too. I don't want to argue with you. And that's kind of like a red flag for me to hear myself saying, you're arguing with somebody. And the book tells me I'm not supposed to argue with anybody because that's not my job anymore. My job is not to get everybody to believe what I believe. It says, on your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him a copy of your book. I don't lend anybody a copy of my book. Um, I can get them another book. My home group gives away big books. There's tons of meetings that give them away. I'm sure you owe financial amends to somebody you can't reach. You can buy them a book. So this person's still on visit one. They've just been taken through one through three, and now they need to get into action. On the top of 95, I wrote step 12, because that's what this chapter's about, step 12. And I wrote, able to feel and do things never could do and feel before. So step 12, the prom- one of the promises of step 12 is I'm able to feel and do things that I was never able to feel and do before, which is pretty amazing. And the goal is that I want to be willing into action. I don't want to pressure somebody into it. So there should be no pressure from me as a sponsor. I should be cool as a cucumber. Hey, if you want to do it, awesome. I'm willing to walk to hell and back with you and hold your hand and cheer you on. You have to do the work, but I'm here for you to root you on. If you don't want to do this, I'm not going to chase you and go look at what you're doing to yourself and show you a picture of your kids. That's not my responsibility. I can't make you want to be willing. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. So just to keep in mind frame-wise, this is 1939. The second visit, we're going to take them through the steps. 
I underline, give them a chance to think it over. So don't push them into it. If they don't automatically want to do the work and say that they're ready to do the work, then say to them, think about it. Just don't, don't pressure them. If you do say, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely to say you rushed him. So I wrote on the side, wait until willing, don't pressure. So wait until they say they want to do the work. I like to say, to always put it on them, to start immediately with sponsoring that I'm giving them choices. It's up to you. It's totally up to you. You can do whatever you want. If, if, if. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I bracketed the rest of the paragraph. It says, you will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. I wrote on the side, he knows that I have a solution and he doesn't. He knows that I have a solution and he doesn't. There's a lot of tells. I can look them in the eye and they're looking down at their shoes or their thumb. I feel clear and solid and confident and they don't. And it's very, very evident for both of us where we both stand. So I wrote, he knows that I have a solution and he doesn't. I underline, never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools late for his inspection. And I wrote above, lay out the kit. I wrote obligation. That's my obligation. If you are drowning, my obligation is to throw you a life preserver. Your choice is if you want to grab it or drown. Right? So my job is to, to give you the, the option for freedom. So I'm picturing someone who um, has an allergic reaction and they have an anaphylactic, they're about to go into anaphylactic, whatever that's called, and they've eaten something they're not supposed to eat, and I have an EpiPen. And I need, my choice is to watch them not be able to breathe and die, or I can hold up my EpiPen, grab it out of my purse, hold my EpiPen and say, I have an EpiPen, do you want me to help you? And they have to say yes or no. And if they say yes, then I'm going to stab them in their thigh and give them the opportunity to get better. And then we're going to take them away so they can get help. If they say no, it's not, I cannot force someone to take it. I underlined, show him how they worked with you. So I wrote on the side, lay it out. I want to lay out the big book right in front of them. My, one of my sponsors says, we have the solution. We are in a secure lifeboat there in a drowning in a lake. Which is why I don't need to make somebody want to do this. It's scary to watch somebody drown. It really, really is. I've been to funerals of people who drowned, who I've said to them and to their sponsors or their friends, I'm afraid about what they're doing. And I've said to them, you're going down a dangerous path. It says, offer him friendship and fellowship. I underline, tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. And I double underline that word if. That's the deal. If. If they don't want to get well, you cannot push them. I wrote next to that, work with the willing. Work with the willing. How do you know someone's willing? How do you know you're working with the willing? They're doing the work. Not the things you tell them to do, the things that you tell them to do out of the book. If you take someone through one through three, you give them the instructions for four and you tell them that you have to go home the night and write 20 minutes and then text me after. If they don't text you after and then you talk to them the next day and they're like, yeah, I don't know. And you say, did you start writing? And they say, no, that's someone who's not willing. So right there we can say to them, okay, let me know when you're ready. I'm happy to help you when you're ready to do the work. We don't say, well, you want to sit down again and I'll talk to you about it again? Why don't we go meet for coffee and we can talk more? We just talked to them for over an hour and a half. We show them everything we could possibly show them. They're either going to do the work or not. These are instructions. Next paragraph, I bracketed it's instructions. If he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial 
difficulties or a nurse for his sprees, I underlined, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. That's pretty clear. That's a star I put next to that. They're telling me in instructions to drop an alcoholic until they want to do the work. This may he may do after he gets hurt some more, so they need to have some more pain. I bracketed the next paragraph. It says, if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you, again, ask him to read the book in the interval. I don't ask someone to read the book because I didn't understand the book when I started reading it. I do show them 86 through 88 where I start my night and start my day and end my night. And I also explain to them that I do two pages in the book every single day, starting from the beginning, and I go use a bookmark until I get to the end, 164. And that just gets them in the book a little bit. But really what I would encourage them to do is to go to Big Book Studies and with podcasts, hello, and with meetings and Big Book meetings and Joe and Charlie and all sorts of stuff. We have so many Big Book opportunities. Um, I'm in a Facebook group for women that um, privately lets everyone know when someone's doing the Big Book. I do a co-ed open Big Book study on Thursday nights before my home group. I have a, a Big Book study that I have an Uber conference call in on Sundays where you can do in from your pajamas at 10 in the morning. There's tons of people all over the world that are doing big books. So we don't have to rely on the alcoholic ingredient by themselves. We should have someone that knows how to help them walk them through. It says, after doing that, I underlined, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. And I put a star next to that. That's the deal. I've given them the information. They have to decide for themselves. I underlined, he should not be pushed or prodded. Again, they're reminding me, you can't push somebody. And it says, by you, his wife, or his friends. And I underlined and starred, if he is to find God, the desire must come from within. I'm going to just finish the last paragraph. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way, I wrote above that, still stuck, or prefers some other spiritual approach, I underlined, encourage him to follow his own conscience. I underlined the rest of the paragraph. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like, in any case, to be friendly. Let it go at that. We're going to stop right there. We'll start at 96 next week. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have an amazing week. It's totally up to you.